0: Hi, the last few weeks here at Elam have been a series called Wherever You Go, exploring the first five books of the Bible. This week we'll take a look at the early years of Moses through the first four chapters of Exodus. The story reminds me of a wise statement from the famous fictional educator Albus Dumbledore who said, it is not our abilities that define us, it is our choices. Would you pray with me for a moment? Dear God, your word is a rich and deep well, but it's also full of interesting stories that guide us and inspire us as we get to know you better. I pray my words will be yours, that hearts will hear your message for them. Thank you for Moses and that all these generations later, his life can be an inspiration for our lives as we, like him, discover more and more how to be your people. Amen. So if you turn to Exodus 1 to 4, we'll uh, be working our way through there. So in these chapters, uh, right from the very beginning, we see God, both loving and just, wrapping himself around Moses and staying close by. We see Moses transition from a baby in a basket on the Nile to a man boldly standing on his foundations to confront one of the cruelest and most vicious pharaohs in Egyptian history. Today, we will learn with Moses that it is our choices and God at work in us that leads us out of slavery and into our destinies. The Book of Moses is a narrative. Other books of the Bible are written in different styles. For example, Isaiah is a book about prophecy. Philippians is a letter, Uh, Hebrews is a sermon, but Exodus is a narrative. This means that it's a story. Narratives provide ways of knowing about historical events But they are also told so that we can increase our understanding about something. In the book of Exodus, we learn about the nation of Israel's entrance into a covenant relationship with God. But it's also the story of Moses, a boy, then a man, who's drawn out of his circumstances and his fears, and out of his culture into a growing and mature relationship of trust and confidence in God. This is a story of deliverance from enemies and fear but it's also the story of the tremendous significance of foundations on our choices. The story takes place in Egypt about 400 years after the book of Genesis ends. Last week, we learned about Joseph, his story and the way God procured favor for Israel through Joseph. And at the end of Genesis, Genesis, roughly 70 people were in Egypt. They were welcome and they were respected. Joseph at the age of 37 was their prime minister life was good. But 400 years is a long time, and by the time we read the first chapter of Exodus, things have changed significantly in Egypt. Israel had been very fruitful. The Bible tells us that the Israelites were a multitude. Egypt, though, was no longer hospitable, and its policies were targeted directly against God's people. Verses 9 and 10 of Exodus chapter 1 outline just how the pharaoh perceived Israel to be a threat to his national security. We're not told whether or not the Israelites actually were a genuine threat, but we do know that the pharaoh was cruel and vindictive. The pharaoh's destructive fear led him first to degrade the working environments of the Israelites so that it was basically intolerable. And then he used infanticide to curb the growth of their population. This is unthinkable. Eliminating boys and so men from the Israelite nation was Pharaoh's way of playing God and protecting his dynasty. But Pharaoh was not God. And despite these laws, God blessed and increased the numbers of the, of the Hebrew people. In chapter 2, we're finally introduced to Moses, though he doesn't have a name. We read in verse 1 about his family and in particular about his mother. Bible says now in the house of Levi now a man in the house of Levi married a Levite woman she became pregnant gave birth to a son when she when she saw him she saw that he was a fine child the scriptures go on and we know that when she could hide him no longer she got a papyrus basket for him coated it with tar and pitch and put him into the Nile alive although he was a small baby boy God was preparing him for his later purpose And his mother was part of that plan, but so was parting with him. There are several references to being known in our mother's wombs throughout the Bible. This means that God is always at work in us. He was at work in the life of the infant Moses, and he is and has been at work in your life and mine from the beginning. He has a plan. In Exodus 2, we particularly learn about the role of the mother of Moses and how intimately a part of his destiny she was. Part of what I find so interesting uh, is that we learn actually very little about either of the women who fulfilled the role of mother for Moses, whether his birth mother or the Egyptian princess who raised him and named him afterwards. But as the book of Exodus unfolds, we see what we see is the handiwork of that Levite woman who gave birth to him. His life is a testimony to the foundation she built And on that foundation, God worked out the destiny of Moses and of Israel. She did something. She taught something. She communicated something to Moses that caused him to always be sensitive to God. And that caused him to identify the Hebrews as his own people. She built a foundation upon which Moses made his choices. So we know from the scriptures that Moses, with no recorded name, was nurtured by the woman who birthed him for his first three months. Then we read about his trip down the river and into the custody of one of the Pharaoh's daughters to be raised as a prince of Egypt. But then as we continue to read through chapter two, we learn that this daughter of Pharaoh rescued the baby from his basket, named him Moses, which means drawn out of the water. I think this is keenly interesting. I thought that the name Moses would mean, no greater leader or he who will bring the new covenant, but no, it means to be drawn out. The name of Moses means God at work. So in these chapters, we watch how God draws out the destiny of Moses. In chapter two, verse eight and nine, we read that after he was found on the Nile, the Pharaoh's daughter addressed the baby's birth mother and said, Take the baby and nurse him for me and I will pay you." So the woman took the baby and nursed him. And when the child grew older, she took him back to the Pharaoh's daughter and he became her son. The Pharaoh's daughter named him Moses. The Next verse tells us one day after Moses had grown up, this also surprised me. It's like that dash between the dates on a tombstone. What happened in those intervening years? We know the little boy went into the Nile and he was drawn out into life, not just to live as a child of a Pharaoh's daughter till he was almost 40, but also to have his own mother love and care for him. This parent poured a foundational understanding of God into Moses that God drew out for the next 20 year, 120 years of Moses' life. This woman shaped the destiny of Israel. We don't even know her name. But it's one of the features of the Bible I like so much. It makes us think. What did that mother do to shape Moses like that? You know, in Proverbs 22, 6, the Bible says, train up a child in the way he should go. And even when they're old, they won't depart from it. When my own children were very young, I attended a Bible study about this verse with material written by Pastor Chuck Swindoll. He said something I have never forgotten. We all thought that training up a child in the way he should go meant Take them to church, teach them this, teach them that, teach them to tie their shoes. But he said training up a child doesn't mean adherence to social conventions. He said it's not about smoking or drinking or dancing. It doesn't mean spanking and chore charts. It means take the time and the effort to know the child, discern the gifts and strengths God's placed in them, and then nurture those, draw them out in the context of God's love and his teachings. This is hard work, and it requires a consistent focus on learning and understanding that child, that teen, that young person. We make the effort to know our kids, not to make them happy or to even see if we can get them to obey us. But we nurture their gifts and strengths because God has a plan and he has a purpose for that life. And your life and my life are part of that plan. But how do we drive those lessons about God deep into our children? It's how we nurture a destiny. It seems to me that Moses' mother figured out what could make Moses okay. learn. Reacher's modern research has told us that people learn when they feel safe and loved, and that what touches our emotions stays with us forever. If you think of a time when you felt very safe or very scared, very happy or very sad, you can probably recall the fragrance of the air that's associated with that memory because we are built to link our emotions and our thoughts. So we learn our lifelong lessons when we are safe and loved. This also explains tragedy and bad choices in some lives when children do not feel safe or loved. So Moses' mother provided this for him and her fruit appears later in his adult life as he was drawn out into the leader that he became that last third of his life. As we work through the chapters of Exodus and especially as we read through the events of chapters three and four, we see what I think are three principles of how to know God and I think these guided him through his whole life. I bet every craft, every story time, bedtime story, every song Moses' mother sang to Moses built a foundation for him to stand on for the day that would come when God would call on him to fulfill his purpose. And chapter 2 verse 11 tells us that Moses was definitely anchored in his Hebrew heritage. This would likely have had to do in a small way with the fact that he was circumcised so he knew he wasn't Egyptian. But Exodus 2.6 says just by looking at him, the princess knew that Moses was a Hebrew baby. But we also know from identity scholarship that physical characteristics are the weakest link in the strength of community. It is shared values and belief systems that create a communal identity. So we go on to read, one day, after Moses had grown up, he went out to where his own people were and he watched them at their hard labor. He saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew, one of his own people. Looking this way and that, seeing no one, he killed the Egyptian and hit him in the sand. This is a harsh reaction to a typical day at the Egyptian workplace, but it tells us that Moses was tied to the Hebrews in more ways than anatomy. So Moses knew after this that the Pharaoh meant to harm him. He knew that the Hebrews were his people and he knew how harsh the Hebrew the, the Pharaoh was. He must have been so steeped in Hebrew values during his formative years that he actually walked 18 days away from Egypt and into Midian, and into safety. The Midianites are Hebrews in that they're descended from Abraham. And while they're not Israelites, they are cousins. And so when Moses got to Midian, he met people that shared the same values that he did. You know, almost the first thing that happened when Moses got to Midian, was that he met his future in-laws. God was at work. Verses 16 to 22 tell us how he met and helped out some young women at a well and they turned out to be the six sisters of the woman who became his wife, his only wife. God was laying out the plan, but all Moses was doing was getting out of danger. But back to Moses and his destiny. I mentioned earlier that his name means to be drawn out. And as we look at the scriptures from chapter two eleven to the end of chapter 4, we see God himself surround Moses using the foundation that his mother gave him to train him up in the way God needed him to go. There's so much in this story for our lives. Chapters three and four, we see three key principles for growing into who we need to be for God to use us when the time comes. And they're the principles that God used when he called Moses into his destiny. They stand as an inspiration or a guide for us. We see God himself drawing Moses forward to do these things and to pave the road for the work that had to be done on the road ahead. They are the principles of fulfilling a destiny, of pulling away from fear, and of knowing God will wrap himself around us and take the steps as he needs to, to deliver us from slavery into destiny. I want to explore chapter 3 and chapter 4 to see how God works with us in the example of Moses, and then we'll conclude. In chapter 3, we have the story of the burning bush, and we read, God called to him from within the bush, Moses, Moses. God was drawing him out, just as his name says. And then Moses answered, here I am. Is this the response you would give to a talking, burning bush? I think I would maybe look around and wonder who was calling me. Maybe I'd say, who's that? But God, Moses doesn't. He knows who God is. And I think he recognized God. He knew who God was because he knew the stories that had come before him, told to him by his mother. It was obviously more than just a recognition of a sound. Whatever it was, Moses knew it was God talking. But then look what God does. He reaches out and communicates in a way that works for Moses. He says, don't come any closer. This is holy ground. But then God goes on to explain in language and terms that matter to Moses. God doesn't approach him as creator, provider, or judge. He meets Moses as part of the family, the father. He says, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And he recites the lineage that connects Moses to God, the Hebrew lineage. We know that family and belonging really matter to Moses. and God knows that too, and he knows what matters to you. Then we see God reveal to Moses that he loves the family, the extended family that Moses loves. In verse seven, God says, I have indeed seen the suffering of my people in Egypt and I'm concerned about their misery. Remember, the incident that took Moses out of Egypt in the first place was his concern about the suffering of the Hebrews and he killed an Egyptian in retaliation for harming one. When God reminds Moses that he is not alone, God also reminds him that he is leading the plan. Look at verse 8. God states, So I've come down to rescue them from the land of the Egyptians and to bring them up out of a land to one that is good and spacious. Moses can relate to this with all of his heart. And then when his heart and his mind is full of God's love for him and his people, God says, Moses, I'm sending you. Moses, it's you that will rescue the people out of the hand of the Egyptians for me. And his destiny is revealed. But then Moses has a mini crisis and he starts throwing excuses at God. From verse 11 to verse 21, God addresses every single excuse, not with patronizing words to manipulate or compliment Moses and not as an angry parent demanding obedience but to show Moses that there is no factual base for his fears. God takes the time to address each and every concern. This is what Moses needs to hear in order for him to move forward and to fulfill his purpose. But God knows Moses needs words and he needs time with God. God gives them. And then he tells Moses the truths that must be on his mind. He says, I will be with you, verse 12. I am who I am, verse 14. Tell them I sent you, verse 14. I've watched over you, verse 16. I'll stretch out my hand, verse 20. These are very important pieces of knowledge to have active in one's mind. I'm about to start a new job. These are good things for me to remember as I step out. God is with us. Despite all this, when Moses is still fearful and objectionable, God continues to be with him. And after filling Moses' mind with truth, God takes the time to provide concrete examples that refute his fears. Moses winds away in chapter 4, but God is infinitely patient, and he gives Moses immediate examples of miracles. So Moses can know without any doubt who God is. God has Moses pull his hand out of his robe and it turns leprous. When he puts it back in, God restores it to health. God had Moses pick up his shepherd's staff. God turned it into a snake and turned it back. Moses lived those experiences. He knew this directly from God. God gave him experiences that Moses could go back to knowing that they were true. And I imagine that these events went through his mind many times later on when he stood before the Red Sea, for example, and throughout the rest of his life. So when it was time for Moses to make the decision to lead his people out of Egypt, God had provided him with encounters with God, with real experiences, with facts upon which to make the decision to go with confidence. God said, I am sending you. But in the end, Moses had to do it. And God helped him by equipping him with real, true knowledge of God himself. So there we have the three principles to be drawn out of slavery and into our destinies. Know who he is, live the reality of your relationship with God, and make your decisions and choices based on the first two. Leading the Israelites out of Israel is a big calling. The last time Moses was in Israel, was in Egypt, the Pharaoh himself was hunting him down, but despite this, Moses did leave Midian for Egypt. And take a look at who he brings with him. In verse twenty it says, So Moses took his wife and sons, excuse me, put them on a donkey, and started back to Egypt. And then he took the staff of God in his hand. Moses surrounded himself with his family, with love and security, and the foundations of his life. And then just for an extra boost of confidence, he took something that was concrete evidence of the things that he knew God was doing in his life. So now we know that Moses' destiny was as much about the future of Israel as it was about God at work in Moses. But like many of us, Moses still wasn't convinced he could do what he was put on earth to do. And I think we all have these confidence crises. But now the narrative expands beyond one person and we see God at work on this on the larger scale. If you look at verse 31, listen to how the part this part of the journey ends. When the people heard the Lord was concerned about them and had seen their misery, they bowed down and worshiped. Hearing of God's concern, they knew that they were loved. They bowed their knees. God was very concerned for his people. And he had a plan to liberate them that meant that he put his hand on a young mother, then on a baby in a basket, then stood by as that boy became a man. And for his part, Moses had many choices to make along the way, according to Exodus 2 and 4, 2 to 4. But in the end, it was his choices that made a difference for him and for his people. And so the story of Moses is the story of how God loves us how he weaves our destinies together, and how God teaches us to step into our destiny. In this case, Moses went on to confront the Pharaoh and ultimately to lead his people from Egypt. But what a start! A baby whose mother fought for his life because she knew her destiny, and she prepared her son for his. Moses' mothers did for him what God did for him, and together they provide us with a remarkable plan to live boldly into our destinies, without fear, drawn out of whatever form of slavery it is that holds us back today. God is concerned for us. He sees our misery. So when we talk about choices defining us, we can choose to live inside the principles that guide this part of the Moses narrative. Know God, live in the reality of your relationship with him, and grow, and make your decisions based on the first two. God has a plan for you. He's concerned for you. He shows himself to you through scripture, and he surrounds you with people who love you for your journey. And in response, we bow our knee to him. I'd like to close with this verse from Joshua nine. Be strong and courageous. Do not be afraid. Don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. May God bless you and keep you.